This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Folks, please lift your Bibles this morning. Open them up. We are at 2 Corinthians 12. Almost finished this wonderful letter in our autumn series. Uh, I wanted to preach this this year at some stage alongside Titus. And unfortunately, lockdown interrupted us. Uh, But I trust this word has been a blessing to you. It is a word in season for you. And I'm thankful to God for it. So today we are in chapter 12, and again, God willing, next Sunday we will finish this book in chapter 13. But chapter 12 is where we are. We're going to read the whole chapter, and this is the Word of God. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf... I will boast in nothing except of my own weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favoured than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. 
Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarrelling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. Amen. And we thank God today for his word. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who long ago asked the question, No Christ in your sermon, sir? And if the answer to that question had been, no, there is no Christ in my sermon, then Spurgeon's advice to such a man was, then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. I know the Apostle Paul would agree with this statement, and I am confident that no sermon the Apostle Paul ever preached was a Christ-less sermon. Paul preached Christ and him crucified. And he preached Christ and him crucified in much weakness and enduring many kinds of trials. Despite this, and despite the marks of the true apostle being performed by Paul in the midst of the Corinthian church, they still tolerated and gave a hearing to the false apostles. Paul has already told us in this letter that they were men who proclaimed a different Christ, a different spirit, and a different gospel. They should not have been tolerated for even a moment. And yet somehow, in some way, they had got a foothold in Corinth and the Corinthians had begun to be seduced and taken in by these men. So much so that Paul was worried they were moving away from Christ to a place that was anti-Christ. We had seen that Satan had been at work in this instance. He had disguised himself as an angel of light, as Paul has said. And so too, those who were doing his work were putting on a mask. And so Paul, to defend himself, Paul, in standing against these individuals, engages in the foolishness of boasting. He doesn't want to do it. He understands that there is nothing to be gained by it. He wants us to boast only in Christ. But to defend himself and his ministry, he engages in this foolishness. As chapter 12 begins, Paul says in verse 1, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. See, in the last chapter, Paul had addressed these men who were claiming that Paul wasn't to be trusted. And he had spoke of the reality that he had suffered as an apostle. These men who had come to Corinth and were now feathering their own nests, they had never suffered anything. They were all razzmatazz and shebang, where Paul was able to say at the end of chapter 11, 
that he was someone who had been beaten with rods and stoned and had received the 40 lashes lest one and, and shipwrecked and in constant danger here, there and everywhere. The false apostles couldn't speak like this. They would never have dreamt of going through such suffering. And if they couldn't speak against what Paul was saying in terms of his suffering, then they certainly could not speak against him when it came to visions and revelations. Paul says in verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Immediately as we look at this verse, the question should come, well, who was this man? Who was Paul talking about? Was it a friend? Was it Titus? Was it someone he had met on the road? Who was this individual? My friends, the answer comes when we consider the context of this chapter. Paul is defending himself and defending his ministry against the false apostles. He doesn't want to do it. It is foolishness, he says. And so here he is speaking of his own experience. But he doesn't come with boasting. He doesn't come shouting about how he himself had been called up to heaven. Instead, he uses the phrase, I know a man. It shows his humility. It shows that he is not filled with arrogance and pride like his enemies. Instead, he says, I know a man who was in Christ 14 years ago called up to the third heaven. I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body. God knows. This man, says Paul in verse 3, was caught up into paradise. Again, he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And here, as Paul defends himself and defends his apostolic ministry, he reminds the Corinthians, he lets them know that Paul himself has had this glorious experience of being called up into heaven. Paul was the man in these verses. Paul was called up to the third heaven. You see, if we look over my shoulder today, you see the sky, the first heaven. Above the sky tonight, we will see the moon and the stars, the second heaven. And above them all is the third heaven. As Paul also calls it, paradise, the place where Jesus is. Indeed, in Hebrews 4 and verse 14, Paul would write that Christ himself has passed through the heavens. He has ascended to the heavenly place. And in Hebrews 7 and verse 26, we know that Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father and is exalted above the heavens. So Paul says in his defense that he is a man who has been called to heaven, to paradise, to the third heaven. And in that place he heard things, verse 4, that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Here is Paul's experience. Here is Paul, a man who has gone through intense suffering for the sake of the gospel. Here is his experience. If the false apostles want the boast, if they want to be men that say, look at me, look at me, look how wonderful I am. Paul can say in humility, I know a man who was called up to heaven. I don't know if it was in body or in spirit, but this man was called up to paradise and he saw and heard things that cannot be uttered. It's me, says Paul. My friends, at this point, in great mystery, we should pause, we should be humbled by this. 
We are a church of Jesus Christ. We are committed to the apostolic teaching. The church is built on the foundations of the prophets and the apostles. And every time we read from Paul, we read the authoritative word of God, the authoritative apostolic preaching. And whenever many in this world have a problem with Paul, I suggest they go to a chapter like this and realise the calibre of this individual. A man who in much weakness, much integrity, ministered Christ to Corinth and to many places around the world. Here is Paul. A man who was called up in body or in spirit, it matters not, God knows, to the heavenly place. Here is Paul. His enemies couldn't boast like this. And Paul himself does not want to boast like this. But on this man's behalf, says Paul in verse 5, I will boast. Not on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Paul had received a message in glory. Paul had been in the heavenly place. Paul had seen Jesus. And it was this Paul who was being equipped by the Lord. As Paul says, this was 14 years ago. So at the start of Paul's ministry, Paul was being equipped by the Lord for the things in front of him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The false apostles had come in on Paul's coattails. They had sought to belittle him and demean him and, and to silence his testimony. And Paul says, you want to boast, really? Will we boast of the sufferings? I have more of those. Will we boast of visions and revelations? I have more of those. Paul is the authentic, real deal who comes to preach only Christ. My friends, none of us today will have a, an experience like this. None of us should see this as normative for the Christian. Paul was an apostle. Remember that. Paul was a, an apostle, an office that is now closed, an office that has ceased, a foundational office. So today as we read this, we should not expect ever to be called up to heaven to see Jesus until the day we die and leave this earthly place. Paul's experience was unique to him as a true apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it was given to him to equip him for the tough and tumultuous road that lay in front of him as an apostle of the gospel. Can you imagine the false apostles hearing this letter read in their earshot? Can you imagine what they would think as this was read and, and their cheeks would get red? Can you imagine? They didn't go through the sufferings. They didn't have the visions and the revelations. They were fraudulent. And they were preaching a Christless gospel. My friends, it is a joy today to still be able to read this word, to preach it, to understand it, to realize what is important in local fellowships. It is not the razzmatazz and it is not the shebang. It is not the false teachers who will come and say, I will give you deeper knowledge. I will tell you the truth. The church has always got this wrong. Finally, I have got it right. The Lord has spoken to me this morning. The Lord has told me this, this, and this. And it is a me-centered ministry. Paul is not like that. He will boast only in his weaknesses. 
And he says in verse 6, though, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. Paul could rightly boast. Paul could rightly say, look what I have experienced. Look what I have gone through. Look what I have heard in heaven. But instead, he doesn't do that. He has commanded that he should not say what he heard uttered in the heavenly place. And indeed, you get the impression that Paul would not share any of this vision unless he really had to in defense of his ministry in the face of these so-called super apostles. But if he had to, he would be speaking the truth. But that is not what drives Paul. He says here in verse 6 again, But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. There is the standard of the apostolic ministry. Paul did not stand to boast of his experience or his suffering or any of the things that marked him out to be a true apostle of the gospel. Instead, he proclaimed Christ and him crucified. And my friend, this shapes, I hope, our attitudes to worship. It shapes our attitude to the local church. It shapes our attitude to, to the Bible every time it is opened. What is it that we expect? What is it that we demand from our fellowships? We usually have a list, don't we? The music's got to be good. And the preaching's got to be good. And the coffee's got to be good. And the fellowship's got to be good. Everything has got to be good. And there needs to be 101 different things for my children. Because if it's not, well, we live in a day and age where we are surrounded by hundreds of fellowships. Take your choice. The days are gone when you would have lived in a town and gone to a local church in that town. We are now in a day and age where we jump in our car and are happy to drive 20 miles to go to a church that meets all our requirements. My friends, may the Lord humble us. Soon, I hope, soon, I hope, we will get to go back to our fellowships. Soon, I hope, things will return to normal in our fellowships. But again, I ask you, how will we return? Paul, a true apostle, came and ministered in much weakness. Paul, a true apostle, was committed to the ordinary means of grace. Paul, a true apostle, proclaimed Christ and him crucified. My friends, perhaps we are so agitated at times about our local church because sinfully we have come to a conclusion where Christ is not enough. Now, we would never say that, I hope. We would never ever verbalise that publicly, I hope. But perhaps somewhere in the depths of our sinful souls, there's that sense, that feeling that, that we want more. And it isn't more of Jesus. Because I suspect in your church, the word is read and it is faithfully preached. This is the means by which the Lord communicates his grace to us. So I suspect it's not more of Jesus. I suspect often it is with consumeristic eyes and consumeristic hearts. And what do we want? We want more razzmatazz. 
Paul comes in weakness and refuses to speak of the razzmatazz. Imagine the crowd he would get. Imagine the sign outside Corinth that said, Come this Sunday and Paul will tell you what he heard and saw in heaven. He would fill the meeting house. But Paul does not want to boast of those things. Instead, he boasts only in his weakness. And indeed, to keep him from being too conceited, too elated, Paul says in verse 7, by the he was being kept from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations by a thorn which was given to him in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, says Paul, and to keep me from being too elated. Now Paul's thorn is a much discussed topic. And the reality is, my brothers and sisters, we are unsure exactly what this thorn was. And you know what? That's not negative. That's positive. Paul doesn't tell us. He doesn't go into the ins and outs of it. Scholars debate it. Some would say, well, the thorn in Paul's flesh was the false apostles. That was the thorn. They were constantly at him, constantly calling him names and slandering him. They were the thorn. Others looked to the phrase, a messenger of Satan was sent to harass Paul. And, and some would say, well, it was Satan's barb, Satan's fiery darts, the demonic forces of evil. That was Paul's thorn. And others would suggest it was some sort of physical ailment. Paul apparently had bad eyesight. Maybe it was Paul's eyes. Maybe he had a, a problem there. Maybe they were sore and, and causing him great agony. Who knows? But Paul tells us here, that the thorn's purpose was clear. It was given to him to keep him from being conceited. He wasn't going to be the false apostle who would boast constantly about himself. His abilities, his talents, his gifts wasn't going to be Paul. The thorn was given to him to keep him from conceit. And Paul didn't take it and smile about it and, and say, Oh, I'll just keep going. My leg might be broken, but I'm okay. Of course not. He was human like us. Instead, Paul says in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times, says Paul, I prayed, Father, address this thorn, take this thorn, whatever this thorn was. Paul prays, Father, remove it from me. But the prayer is not answered. The prayer is not answered. My brothers and sisters, is not another lesson for us today. We have high hopes for what our fellowships will be like and perhaps we need to be much humbled and seek Christ and find him in the word and rejoice in the prayers of the saints. But also as we see here about Paul's thorn, friends, we realise that our prayers are not always answered. It is Charles Hodge who says verse 9 should be written on the palm of every single believer. For Paul is told in verse 9, the Lord says to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see, Paul realised that his weakness was not something to be sad about. His weakness was not something that the false apostles could point to and, and use against him. Paul understood, as he says in verse 10, for the sake of Christ, I am content with weakness, 
insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul had realized something that that didn't cross the false apostles' minds. He had realized that the Christian life, the Christian walk, every Christian sermon and certainly every Christian church, none of it is about us. Paul was happy to boast all the more gladly of his weakness so that the power of Christ would rest upon him. My brothers and sisters, you will know much weakness in your life. Every single day you will wonder Where is the victory that sometimes the preacher speaks about? At times you will look about and and you will see just failure after failure. There will be tragedy in your life. You will cry many hard and sore tears. There will be illness in your life. I don't buy it when these people around us at the minute say, I I won't get COVID-19 because I'm a Christian. Nonsense. Christians are fallen men and women in a fallen world and we will know illness and weakness. And the majority of believers in the church of Jesus Christ today, the church Catholic, they live in poverty and weakness. They live in lands where they will be murdered if they convert to the faith of Christianity. They live in lands where the government at any time can steal and take everything from them. They live and they minister in much weakness. Oh, that we would understand this in the West where we have elevated strength above all. And a church is not worth its salt unless it's wonderful, unless it's strong, unless it's powerful and has money and prestige and young people and it's bulging at the seams and a minibus with golden wheels. We have raised strength when actually the power of God is found in weakness. It is said that the great preacher Jonathan Edwards preached like this. Eyes lost in the Bible not engaging with his hearers, not looking them in the eye, no gimmicks, no flashbang, no wallop. And yet that man's preaching was used to bring many, many, many to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that we are expecting when days get back to normal? What is it we want from our local fellowships? What is it that we want from one another? Is it strength? Is it power? Is it talent? Is it gifts coming out our ears? Or is it Christ-likeness? You see, that's what Paul was defined by. That's what the false apostles couldn't get, couldn't understand. For them, it was about the visual things, the smoke machines, the razzmatazz. But for Paul... He understood that the power of God was made perfect in his weakness. Paul knew the grace of God. And so Paul preached the gospel of grace. And so Paul was happy then for the sake of Christ to put up with whatever came his way. For Paul was a true apostle. This boasting was foolishness. Paul knew that too. He says in verse 11, I have been a fool. 
you forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing, he said. Wow, such humility and weakness. Such humility and weakness. What would you do if faced with a super apostle? What would I do? We try to improve ourselves, don't we? We too want to be seen as just as good. And Paul didn't engage in that. He knew his weakness, but even in weakness, he knew that he was in no way inferior to these men. See, Paul had come to realize that Christ is everything. He would say in Philippians that, that everything else is rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Everything else is rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And so with that attitude, he had come to Corinth. And in verse 12, he says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. And there are many today still who long for the signs and the wonders and the mighty works and the speaking of foreign languages not known and the performance of miracles and the raising of people from the dead. But this was a ministry for the apostles and the signs of the apostles were done among them in Corinth. They had seen with their own eyes that Paul was not all taught. He was the real deal. He was the true thing. He was an apostle of Christ who preached Christ and him crucified. And indeed when he came, he did not burden the Corinthians. Not a bit of it. Instead he had exercised this ministry for their sake, for their good, with humility and, and integrity. And here is what we should desire to see in our fellowships. My brothers and sisters, if you go to a church where the Bible is open and the Bible is read publicly in your own language that you can understand and then that word is preached and thanks be to God. This past eight or nine months, we've done this sort of stuff, haven't we? The, the online stuff. And people have asked me recently, why do I... Uh, do these services at home. This is the months, the months family, the, the minister of the months and all that sort of stuff. Why do you do it up here? Well, it's because if I do it down in church, we have to be careful about cleaning the place. But my friends, here's the reality for the Christian church. It's not about production values. It's not about how much your live streaming service costs you. It's not about how many people are in your band. It's, it's not about how you dress. It's not about any of those things that we have made it all about. It's not about your meeting house. It's not about what you call yourself because we all want to have super fancy flashbang wallet names for all our fellowship now. We're Elevate Fellowship. We are Grace-Filled Fellowship. We are Abundant Rivers Flowing Waters Fellowship. It's not about that. The church of Christ has never been defined by the things that are seen. But in much weakness, as men and women who will struggle through this barren land, in much weakness, the church, the church, the church of Christ, the bride of Christ, paid for by the blood of Christ, the church is all or should be all about Christ. 
Paul had come. And you would have imagined that the Corinthians would have understood Christ above all. They had seen the signs of the true apostle. They had seen the wonders and the mighty works. They had heard the gospel. And yet because Paul somehow had not met the false standard of the false apostles, they were now being led astray from a pure devotion to Christ Jesus. Friends, may we learn lessons in pandemic season. And when we return, and when things change, may they really change. May we go into old drafty buildings and not worry about the fact that our minister's not a great preacher. May we go into a hall somewhere and not care that Vera's arthritis means that she can't play Amazing Grace like she used to. May we not go with a shopping centre mentality with a big list that says, right, what's this place going to give me? Because if it doesn't meet the standard, I'm away. To abundant rivers, flowing waters, triumphant vision, church of the fellowship of blah, blah, blah. Friends, may we be humbled in a season of lockdown and a season of, of distance and a season of restriction, may we be humbled that, that we have Christ and Christ is and always has been enough. Paul had ministered among these men and women. And soon as he says in verse 14, for the third time I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours, but I seek you. There's the heart of the apostle. There's what drives him. Not to feather his nest, but he wants them. He wants to see them knowing Christ and growing in Christ's likeness. Children do not save up for their parents, says Paul, but parents for their children. And so I will most gladly be spent, spend and be spent for your souls. Verse 15, there's his attitude. I will do anything for the sake of the local church. I will do anything, says, the, says Paul, for the sake of those who Christ loves. And see, that is the reality. Christ loves those who worship in much weakness. And, and Christ loves those who, who worship with all the boxes ticked. And instead of, of understanding that, we put value on things that ultimately have no eternal significance. And we reject the ordinary means of grace. And yet again, here Paul says... I will be spent for your sake. The weakest believer cost Christ his life. The humblest, most pathetic looking wee fellowship up a lane or a field somewhere was paid for by the blood of Christ. May we not seek super apostles. May we not seek production values on our videos. May we not even seek the view count on our videos. But may we be absolutely content with sermons filled with Christ and him crucified. Paul hadn't taken advantage of these people. Nor had Titus, as he writes in verse 18, and he defends himself to these Corinthians, not because he has to, not because they are his board of directors or anything like that. But instead he says in verse 19, 
that this defense of himself, well, the purpose was that in, in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Paul doesn't want to come to find the Corinthians a, a fleshy fellowship filled with quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder as he writes in verse 20. And in verse 21 he says, I don't want to come to find that you haven't done anything about the sin in your midst, the impurity and the sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. Instead, he has said these things. He has written this letter. He has defended himself. He has preached the gospel so that these men and women would be built up in the faith. Oh, friends, for... For such an attitude as this, for such an attitude as this, every single time we walk through the door of our own fellowship, Father, I come today not to be entertained, not to be impressed, not to hear the most eloquent sermon, not to hear the most barn-burning sermon. I don't come today to seek the things for me and my family so that we can say we are satisfied. But Lord, I come here today like the Greeks long ago. And my attitude, my call, my cry is, Lord, I come to see Jesus. Paul longs for this. And Corinth, as we, I hope and pray, long for it in this day and age. You see, nothing and no one comes close to Christ. No fanciness, no technology, no numbers, no minibuses, none of it comes close to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. I remind you of that as I close. I remind you of that if your heart has been led astray and you are thirsty after the shebang and the smoke machine and the, the jasmatah. I remind you of the gospel. If you think anything comes close to it, then please shut off your screen and never listen to another sermon again. Nothing comes close to the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and dwelt among us. The light shone in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus took on flesh and was submitted to much weakness. And yet, not once, not ever, not for a second did he sin. The God-man made his way to Calvary. And it was there Human beings, created people like us, drove nails into his body. They hung him on that cross and it was there that he breathed his last. Placed in a tomb and was raised again to life. My friends, I trust you're not bored yet. I trust even as I share this familiar story, you realise it's glory. So today I do not come speaking about visions and revelations that I have never had. Today I do not come and speak of a thorn in my flesh. Today with Paul we put aside all boasting. 
accept boasting in Christ and him crucified. There's no one like him. He loves his bride. And I pray as part of his bride right here, Scott Woodburn, we will all learn from these days of lockdown. Christ remains the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Able and willing to save those to the uttermost who call upon him. Nothing and no one come close.